Life moves quickly. Perhaps in the most unfair paradox, the older we get, the faster it goes. And while it is flying by, we are reaching out, just trying to slow it down a little bit. One day we go to bed, a child full of wonder, and the next we wake up somewhere in our life mirrored in bills and stress, and we wonder where our life has gone. Most of us live ordinary lives. We are part of ordinary families, we have ordinary jobs, and we go to an ordinary church. And perhaps that is why our text today feels so difficult to grasp at times. Why we have to read it and reread it again and again, trying to find some clarity. Because the words that the author writes seem so very far from our own ordinary experiences. I find myself wondering how many of us feel like we experience the hope of God's call, the richness of his inheritance, the overwhelming greatness of God's power at work in the lives of all believers on a day-to-day -day basis. How many of us wake up each morning ready to live life as though Christ is seated on the throne with all powers beneath his feet? I'm going to guess not many of us. Because most of us, instead, it feels like, lead lives defined not by hope, but by cynicism, carved and created by the small hurts, the big hurts that we've been given by our brothers and sisters and families and friends. We live lives filled not with confidence, but with anxiety, anxiety about getting enough now and for this moment. Treating the inheritance of God as a far-off thing to be considered later. And we lead lives defined more by fear than by trust. Fear of ourselves and fear of others and fear of God. Failing to see the power and the greatness of the resurrected Jesus in our midst. As we get older, the light in our eyes seems to dim. We talk about childlike wonder for a reason. Because it seems hard to maintain past a certain age. Spend 10 minutes with any four-year-old and you will see the world in a brand new way. Fairies behind rocks, unicorns exist. Dust motes are evidence that an angel has been nearby. Can you remember the last time you just laid on your back outside and stared at the clouds? As I have gotten older, it has gotten harder and harder to see the shapes that once so delighted me as a child. And that is why our scripture today is so important. As the author writes to the church in Ephesus, he knows that their lives they're going to be lived far more in the ordinary, not the extraordinary. But he is praying that they would be able to have the eyes to see the extraordinary when it shows up in front of them. He's praying that their hearts would be able to see the awe in their lives. 
We have a pattern when we pray for people, you and I. We often pray for their happiness. We pray for people's hopes. We pray for their healing and their guidance. Myself included, we tend to have a tendency to pray for what people want, perhaps even at the expense of praying for what they need. And when our author begins his prayer in these particular verses, he does not pray for the church in Ephesus to have happiness or success. He doesn't even pray for their increase in numbers. No, what he prays for instead is for them to have wisdom and revelation and sight. Three things that we all desperately need but not necessarily want. In his opening lines of his book, Through Painted Deserts, Donald Miller writes the following introduction. I'll tell you how the sun rose a ribbon at a time. It's a living book, this life. It folds out in a million settings, cast with a billion beautiful characters, and it's almost over for you. It doesn't matter how old you are, it is coming to a close quickly, and soon the credits will roll, and your friends will fold out of your funeral, and they will drive back to their homes in cold and stillness, and they will make a fire and pour a glass of wine and think about how you once were and never will be again. So soon you will be in that part of the book where you are holding the bulk of the pages in your left hand and only a thin wisp of the story in your right. And you will know by the page count, not the narrative, that the author is wrapping things up. And you begin to mourn its ending and you want to pace yourself slowly towards its closure, knowing that the last lines will speak of something beautiful, of something long and earned, and you hope the thing closes out like whispers about how much and who the characters have come to love and how authentic that love feels when it has earned a hundred pages of qualification. And so my prayer is that your story will have involved some leaving and some coming home. Some summer and some winter, some roses blooming like children in play. My hope is that your story will be about changing, about something beautiful being born inside of you, about learning to love a woman or a man, about learning to love a child, about moving yourself around water, around mountains, around friends, about learning to love others more than ourselves, about learning oneness as a way of understanding God. We get one story, you and I, one story alone. God has established the elements, the setting and the climax and the resolution. It would be a crime not to venture out, wouldn't it? In this brief introduction, Miller captures the beauty and the power of the prayer for the Ephesians when he speaks of living a life full 
of awe. A life that recognizes its own finiteness, its smallness in comparison to the vastness of God, but one that still searches out the beauty and the fullness that is offered, knowing that the overall story has already been written. We live in a world that would seek to squash and eliminate awe from our lives. We can Google the answer to almost any question in seconds. Natural phenomena like the incredible bioluminescence we see on our coastline or the aurora borealis or the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly have all become easily reduced to the fundamental scientific facts that lead up to them. Heroic acts of self-sacrifice are buried under headlines about the latest political scandals and the mind-bending, incredible achievements of the human body in something like athletics gets lost in talking about championships and pride and training regimes and calories. In our busyness, we miss the unfolding of the sun ribbon by ribbon. We miss the joy in a child's laugh. We miss the power of a congregation gathered on a Sunday morning. See, as we grow up, we begin to think that we are the author of our own stories, that we are in control of the ending. And we forget, as the author of Ephesians prays that we wouldn't, that it is Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of our lives. Christ is the one who is the head of the church. All things are under him. And how easily we forget that. How easily we forget that Christ is in charge of all things, of us, of our families, of our countries, of our world. How many of us live into the light and freedom of that knowledge rather than living in the dim, dim realm of fear and the pursuit of control? You see, we have forgotten that the very power of the church, the very power of the believers is rooted in that truth, that Christ is on the throne. And so instead, we have looked to find our power in our social life, in our cultural life, in our political life, and our political influences. And we have a hard time trusting God when he says that Jesus is in control. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you find yourself on. The truth is that we are not particularly comfortable or confident in believing those words of God. And so we try to ensure it by force. But none of those things are what we find in our prayer this morning. It's not a prayer for happiness or control or power. It's a prayer for wisdom and revelation and sight. How then do we experience the blessings that the author of Ephesians prays for? We must rediscover our ability to be awed, as hard as it might be. 
Researchers in 2015 decided to do a study on humans and awe and its impact on us. Through a series of tests and trials, researchers discovered that awe, although fleeting and hard to describe, serves a vital social function. By diminishing the emphasis on the individual self, awe encourages people to forgo self-interest and to improve the welfare of others. When you experience awe, you no longer feel like you're the center of the world. And across all people, it has the same effects. It makes people feel smaller, less self-important, and behave in a kinder fashion. The prayer we read today boils down to this. It's that the author of Ephesians prays that his readers will experience awe, that is the knowledge and revelation that the all-powerful, resurrected, and crowned Jesus sits on the throne. And that inspires a mix of fear and admiration and delight and surprise. And it is an intriguing and yet powerful experience that holds you in a mesmerizing grip. And you realize it's unlike anything you've ever experienced before. Because in that moment, while you're afraid, you still stand to devour the thrill of it. Having experienced this awe, we can have the eyes to see the real hope, the real inheritance, the real power in the midst of our ordinary, everyday life that is the resurrected Jesus. The power of awe is that it can reset our whole world view and change the way we understand God and ourselves. Try just for a minute to consider all of the factors that had to go into this very moment this morning. Imagine the fact that each one of us had to have been born. We've had to live to this day. Consider all of the moves, the marriages, the births, and the deaths, all of the children and the joys and the sorrow that led people to this place. Consider all of the thousands and millions of choices that had to have been made for all of us to decide to attend this church on this morning at this time. If you consider everything that has to go in to each and every Sunday morning when we gather, you would stand in awe at the orchestration of a God who creates this very moment. Eight years ago, I found myself standing in a tiny village on the island of Hispaniola in the country of Haiti when the ground began to shake. Now, you know the story. You know the power of the earthquake, the devastation and loss of life, the destruction of infrastructure. And there I was with 13 others gathered in a small village in the middle of nowhere. And following the earthquake, we all began to worry 
You see, the airports were shut down, and we had no idea how we were going to get back to the States or when we were going to get back. And we began to worry about our jobs back at home. If we could keep taking more vacation time, we were wondering about our families and would we have enough food and enough water and our stress and anxiety began to climb and rise higher and higher. And so that night, a number of us left the bunkhouse and we walked across the dark yard over to the shop on the other side of the compound and we climbed up to its roof and we laid down flat on our backs and we began to look up at the stars. And it was more stars than I have ever seen in my entire life. The Milky Way stretched out as far as you could see. It was awe-inspiring. And in that moment, we felt the weight of awe. Here we were, these tiny, finite humans trapped on an island in the middle of an ocean. And there was God, one so vast he had created the universe the very Milky Way that we were looking at. Our smallness and his greatness had never been so stark as in that moment. The Sunday morning following the earthquake, we went to church with the local Haitians, and as we walked into that hot and muggy building, there were over 100 people gathered. And the awe began to spread once again in my heart as I saw these people worshiping and praising God in song and prayer, thanking him for his provision and protection and foresight in the midst of the earthquake. How could I not be awed by a people who could face such loss and trauma and sorrow and still see the goodness and the power of God in their lives? Because they knew that God was in control and was bigger than the earthquake, they could see with the eyes of their heart. They had enough light to see the reality of God's hope and promise and love in their lives. The letter to the Ephesians is not a letter to an individual. It is meant for a community. It is meant that not only should we look for those moments of awe in our individual life, but that as a body, as a community, we need to find it within ourselves as well. Because it is this awe that will move us into our calling as the church. That collectively then we would know the hope, our hope is in Jesus. That we would know our true inheritance of peace and love and joy. That it is from him that the source of all power comes. And so this is the challenge that I leave you with this morning. Slow down and be awed. Find awe once again in your life so that your heart might have enough light to see the hope and the promise of Jesus in all the ordinary and mundane moments of your life. Friends, I cannot imagine a life more blessed 
than one that can truly see the power of God at work in the world all around us. Amen.